KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Let me say, our Disney Quest is going to be more attractive and prettier than even the Orlando is. True. Absolutely. That was the sound of a very proud Ed Rendell. He was Philadelphia's mayor at the time, but in less than two years, and still to this day, the project he was beaming about in December of 1998 became more known for what it wasn't than what it was supposed to be. This is a story about Disney and Philadelphia, but it's also a story about a giant hole in the ground. It was a standing joke, the hole in the ground at Ethan Market. The hole at Ethan Market definitely touched a nerve for Frank DeChico. He served on city council for 16 years. That hole was in Frank's district. He represented that hole. It was just another sort of stab in the heart of Philadelphia. We were at such a low point at that, at that time. Harris Steinberg has followed and been involved in urban planning in Philadelphia for decades. He's had his eye on the hole for a long time. The hole was there. It had filled with mud. Susan Warner is a former business reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She covered the hole. They just kept calling it the Disney Quest hole when really Gimbel's was there way longer. And to call it Disney Quest hole now, first of all, there's no hole. But also, Disney Quest was kind of such a short thing in the life of that property. But the name really stuck. How did the hole on 8th and Market become a hole? How much of a hole was it? And what did Disney have to do with the hole? I'm Brian Seltzer. Today, we're going to talk about Disney Quest. These days, 8th and Market is home to a massive parking lot, somewhere in the range of 300 spaces. How did it become a hole back in the day? Let's do a little history. Harris Steinberg is now the executive director of Drexel University's Lindy Institute for Urban Innovation. He's also an architect by trade. Ethan Market was ingrained in his childhood. The old Gimbel's department store used to be right on that corner. So I'm 65, born and raised in Philadelphia, attended Thanksgiving Day parades as a kid, and they always ended at Gimbel's. Santa Claus climbed up into the toy department, and that was sort of the culmination. So Gimbel's always held a certain fascination for me. It was one of a collection of, of uh, department stores that lined East Market Street. I think there were seven in all that really made East Market Street the Fifth Avenue of Philadelphia. This was the place where Philadelphia shopped. This is the place where you came for your bar mitzvah suit or your Easter dress or your wedding dress. Uh, the suburbs did not have any of these. There were no malls in the suburbs yet. You didn't go to Plymouth Meeting. You didn't go to King of Prussia. You didn't go to Willow Grove. This is where you shop. East Market was a big part of Frank DeChico's youth, too. Long before he represented Philadelphia's first district on city council, he was a kid from 11th and Federal. He would head up to East Market all the time. Market Street was where you went. For South Philadelphia, we called it uptown. Everyone else would call it downtown because north side of, of City Hall. It was a sea of activity. I mean, as a kid, I'd get on the 23 trolley, which is the 11th Street trolley, and I'd come up here. And they had arcades on the west side of Broad where movie theaters were abundant in Center City. Arcades where we would go play pinball machines and skill like you do on the boardwalk in Atlantic City or Wildwood. Uh, it was a really a very vibrant street to be on. But that was the East Market of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Things were a lot different by the time Ed Rendell took office as mayor in 1992. 
The city was on the verge of bankruptcy. We had junk bond ratings. No one was investing or building in the city. There was no confidence. Everyone felt that things were going to get worse. You had really a city that was kind of hollow at its core, and there was a desperate attempt for any development. Because of the way that mayor, Mayor Rendell, handled things and was able to negotiate with the unions and other folks and make Philadelphians believe in this city, the Philadelphians believed in that we can make a better place. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, checks and balances in terms of, are these the right types of projects that we're, that we're pursuing? Are they in the right place? And Ed Rendell, for all of the kind of positives that he did and all of his, his optimism and, and in good faith that he brought back to the city, he also was a, was a bad city planner, in my estimation. I was ex- just as excited, if not as excited as Ed Rendell and everybody else was, about getting these things done. Rendell started to pile up some victories, but there was still this untapped potential on 8th and Market. When I talked to people for this story, I found out that some of them had differing memories about what actually happened on that corner, what it was in different periods of its history. Some people remembered it as a whole for a long time after Gimbel's. Others remembered it as a whole that became a parking lot. Probably the most complete version of the story I was told went something like this. After Gimbel's was torn down in the early 80s, 8th and Market became a surface-level parking lot. But over time, the ground beneath that lot started to give way, most likely because the foundation from the Gimbel's building wasn't strong enough. So the parking lot sunk a foot or two into the ground. It wasn't really a hole. It became a parking lot. The hole was there after the, the proposal for Disney Quest was, well, Edrendell proposed it, and the Goldenberg Group, who was the developer who, who owned the property, went ahead and, and at least excavated for Disney Quest. But they, they pulled out, I think, within a couple of years, and, and the hole remained. So we, we call it the Disney Quest hole, but, but it actually was only there for a very short period of time. Disney Quest. You just heard Harris Steinberg mention it. And that brings us to one of the main characters in this story. A lot of people walked past Dathan Market back then and saw it for what it was, a hole in the ground. But at least one very influential person from a very prominent company walked past it and saw something else, something different, something more. The next chapter for the biggest amusement park brand on the entire planet. This is how Frank DeChico remembers things coming together. Apparently, the Disney folks were looking to come to Philadelphia, and the way the story was told to me is they were walking down Market Street, and the Disney folks said, what's going on over there? Pointing to the empty lot or the hole in the ground at Nathan Market. And they said basically nothing, and Disney said, we think that would be a great spot for this Disney quest. Some articles seem to imply that um, Mayor Rendell had long tried to woo Disney here or was in talks with Disney for a bit. Um, do you remember any of that? Were yeah. you privy to any of those talks? I think that's how they came to look at it. They, came, they happened to literally be walking down Market Street from, I don't know what direction they were going in, when one of the reps, representatives for Disney said, what's going on with that location? I think, you know, we were all we were all trying to figure out how to uh, revitalize Market East. The gallery was not working. So I don't blame the Randell administration for looking to bring in another big heavy hit, heavy hitter as a developer, meaning Disney. So that was that. What Disney wants, 
Disney gets. And Disney didn't just want the crumbling, sinking parking lot, whatever it was, on 8th and Market. Disney wanted to be the anchor tenant in a new urban entertainment complex that would showcase Disney's next big thing. That next big thing was Disney Quest. It was an interesting mix of hands-on interactive things. Like, for example, Cyberspace Mountain, as you got online for this attraction... Jim Hill covers the Walt Disney Company for his website, jimhillmedia.com. He writes articles, does podcasts, and knows Disney inside and out. When I reached out to him to see if he could help me learn more about Disney Quest, he sent me a 134-page document filled with background info. For its time, it was very sophisticated. Some of the very earliest uses of VR, you know, out, you know, out in the real world, there was uh, the magic carpets of Agrabah where you would, you know, put on a, a forward-facing headset and then you were supposedly on the magic carpet that, you know, we'd all seen in Disney's uh, Aladdin and flying through the streets of Agrabah, you know, collecting jewels. But lots of ambitious stuff. And the hope was that people would turn to it at least once every year. But every time you'd go back, there would have been an update to, uh, to a ride or a brand new experience for you to have. And now, I think at this, uh, at this point, um, if, if I could get the uh, mayor and, uh, and Ben Franklin, uh, I think it's time to unveil what will be opening in the summer of 2000, the model of uh, Disney Quest Philadelphia. On December 9th, 1998, the city and Disney made it official. Disney Quest was a go. So, Your Honor, if you would do the honors. And our, let me say, our Disney Quest is going to be more attractive and prettier than even the Orlando is. True. Absolutely. That's Ed Rendell with the former president of Disney Regional Entertainment, Art Levitt, the day of the big announcement. At that time, the first Disney Quest location in Orlando had only been open a few months. The second one was set to open in Chicago in 1999. Philadelphia was going to be the third destination. Harris Steinberg, the city planning expert from Drexel, was skeptical. It just seemed like it was, it was a, uh, a bridge too far and something that was done just to, uh, get, in, in many ways, make the city feel better about itself. I know Ed Rendell had every intention of, of, of helping it come to be, but I think it was, in, in retrospect, kind of part of a, a time where Philly was really down in the dumps. It was all about bringing people into the city from outside the city. It wasn't about lifting up the city from within and, and, and bringing things that Philadelphians wanted. These were all kind of imposed from afar. They were either stolen from other places and kind of cut and pasted and brought into Philadelphia, but it didn't necessarily resonate with Philadelphians. We reached out to Ed Rendell to see if he wanted to contribute to the story, but we never heard back. When we return from a quick break, we'll look at why Disney Quest never panned out in Philly and also why more than two decades later, we still haven't quite moved on from the whole. This is the John Cast. I'm Brian Seltzer. everybody, I'm Janet Davies. And I'm Jim Rose, and welcome to one of the most incredible places in Chicago this year. It's called Disney Quest, and it's located on the corner of Ohio and Rush in Chicago, just one block west of Michigan Avenue. JR, right behind us is a five-story building that is an indoor interactive 
theme park. Ooh. It is full of high-tech virtual reality games and gadgets. It's June 16th, 1999, opening day for Disney Quest Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee there is no place in the United States like this, except in Orlando, where the original Disney Quest is. Well, tonight we're going to show you... This is the first Disney Quest location outside the one in Walt Disney World that opened in 1998. As you'd expect for a big splash like this, Disney pulled out all the stops. Pyrotechnics, a Buzz Lightyear mascot that rappelled down from a building with a bunch of Toy Story Army soldiers. The Disney Special Adventure Team has arrived! The toys are out of the bucket and in control! Booyah! Someone who was there told me 10,000 people showed up and lined the streets for the opening. There was a live TV broadcast that just so happened to be on the Disney-owned and operated ABC affiliate in Chicago. Unbelievable. Looked like the whole building lit up on fire there at the end. What, what, what's your name? Where are you from? My name is Rose, and I'm from Chicago Ridge, Illinois. And you came down here to watch this. What did you think of the, the buzz light you're flying in? It was great. I was just fantastic. <laughs> I'm really excited about going in. Oh, and you're going to love it, too. Who's behind you here? What's your name? Looking back at the footage, it seemed like there was a big Times Square, New Year's Eve kind of vibe. It is now time for the galaxy's first indoor interactive theme park. That was amazing! <laughs> Six months earlier, in December of 98, there was also a decent amount of fanfare for Disney Quest Philly's announcement at City Hall. I think it was famous because Goofy came and was there with the mayor. At the time, Susan Warner was covering business for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And if you go back and check out the front page of the business section from the Thursday, December 10th, 1998 edition of the paper, right there on page C1, sure enough, under the masthead is a black and white photo of a smiling Ed Rendell high-fiving Goofy, who was decked out in colonial garb with a three-cornered cap and what looked like a fife drum the day of the announcement at City Hall. But for better or worse, that was Rendell's mindset. He had to make the sell. It's always tough to do business in Philadelphia. It's a poor city, you know, that's often overlooked on the East Coast. It's hard to get attention from national brands sometimes. But the economy as a whole was, was on an upswing then. It was the uh, dot-com boom era and, you know, to be followed by the dot-com bust. But it was as good a time you know, as had been there for a while. So it was believable that, that it could happen, despite kind of long odds. As for me, I was 13 years old at the time, growing up in Cheltenham Township, and this whole idea that Disney could be doing something and planting its flag in Philly, it was such an impossible concept to me because, heck, we didn't even get Theme restaurants. We had just gotten a Hard Rock Cafe. Planet Hollywood didn't come here. None of those other places. Philly got nothing that was shiny and new. But this was Disney. These were the mouse ears. One of the wild things I learned while doing this story, Jim Hill, the Disney reporter, he told me that the ties and connections between Disney and Philadelphia actually go back a really long time. 
if we want to get serious about this, you jump all the way back to the 30s. You know, Walt Disney, who looking for a new starring vehicle for Mickey Mouse, and, you know, decides that, okay, you know, maybe we could do something with The Sorcerer's Apprentice, that, uh, you know, that piece of music. And the most renowned conductor of that age is Leopold Siskowski, you know, with the, the Philadelphia Orchestra. And Walt meets up with Leopold. He agrees to take on the project. And that's how we get Fantasia. But to get that wonderful sound, Walt actually did the recordings for Fantasia in Philly. So that city... You know, it was a big part of Disney history right from the beginning. Jim's knowledge of Disney is encyclopedic, as you can tell. He's covered the company for over 35 years, and he said that at one point, Disney was kicking the tires on doing a Pleasure Island theme restaurant based on one of the attraction areas at Disney World in Orlando for Penn's Landing. I had never heard about that. Disney had this idea that they were thinking about doing in Orlando, but they, they thought, well, maybe we could also do a test version of it in Philly. And... Uh, it got really far along. But again, as as is something we're going to circle back on, Disney has this habit of going, oh, we should do that. And then suddenly having second thoughts and getting a little cautious and pulling back. And so, you know, after meeting with folks at the city and looking at the site, they just said, well, let's try it in Orlando first before we do it someplace else. And as it turns out, they only did the one. Ideas like the Pleasure Island theme restaurant and Disney Quest franchise. These were all born during a period in the late 80s and early 90s when Disney's brain trust was really focused on expanding the Disney experience outside the big parks. What they were looking at was the notion of, okay, so if we do, if we we scout territories that won't necessarily compete with the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim or you know, Orlando, uh, you know, our, our, our giant resort down there, you know, where could we put these things? They actually set up an entire arm of the company called Disney Regional Entertainment. Jeez, there was a time when, you know, Disney thought, was so sure this was going to be the next big thing, uh, that they picked out 20 to 30 spots around the globe for uh, Disney Quest. Do you have any sense of why they zeroed in on Philly? I mean, we talked about how there's this history of flirtations between Disney and Philadelphia, but why not a New York or a Baltimore or a D.C.? Why Philadelphia? Disney doesn't do anything without research. What they knew from uh, info that had been gathered by people who go to Walt Disney World and that sort of thing is Philadelphia was a huge feeder market for the Orlando parks. So, you know, they knew there was already, you know, an appetite for Disney product coming out of this area. That was one of the things that also drove the decision to go, you know, uh, to, to drop one of these in downtown Chicago. To Susan Warner from The Inquirer, it made sense why Disney was being so ambitious. She didn't have to look any further than her own house. Disney was really on a tear. My kids had Lion King videos and they had opened their vault and made a killing with all these, not DVDs, VHS tapes. The parks were doing okay. I think there was a whole generation of kids. Uh, The millennials were coming up. So they were doing very well. But internally, they also had, you know, they were looking to diversify and The former head of Disney, Jeffrey Katzenberg, had joined Steven Spielberg in a similar kind of thing with Sega, the video game company. They had done some smaller arcades like this. So Michael Eisner, the head of Disney during this period, 
first of all, was sworn enemies with Jeffrey Katzenberg, his predecessor. And then so Disney said, well, we should look into doing this too. When you look back on the story, do you feel like there are any big questions that are still unresolved that went unanswered? Uh, I would have liked to know um, more about what Ken Goldberg saw in that property, how, how he put his hands on it. That seemed an unlikely person to have this big tract, but he's gone on to, to do a lot of stuff in the city, but he was pretty new and young at the time. Ken Goldenberg was the developer picked to head up the Disney Quest project in Philly. His company, the Goldenberg Group, is based out of Bluebell. The initial vision was that Disney Quest was going to be the main draw for a larger project planned for 8th and Market called the Pavilion at Market East. There would be other stores and attractions there, too. But remember, there was a really tight turnaround timeline for this project. The announcement was officially made in December of 1998, and the goal was for Disney Quest to open by the summer of 2000. So what did Goldenberg do? He started digging. When I reached out to Goldenberg for the story, he said in an email, he even had the steel there on site, ready to go. Whether it had been a hole, a parking lot, some weird combination of the two before, there was no doubt about it now. Eighth and Market was becoming a real, actual hole, and fast. Drexel's Harris Steinberg paints us the picture. The gimbal site was the entire site. It was, it was, a, it was a very large essentially four-acre site, which is what, what a Philadelphia block encompasses. It went from Chestnut to Market. That, that's a big site to develop. So they'd have to, there would have to be a significant amount of a mixture of uses for that to have any kind of economic viability. This is a really important detail to this story. While Goldenberg was trying to get other tenants on board at 8th and Market, Ed Rendell and the city were in the midst of pitching another $100 million-plus, 600 million-square-foot entertainment complex, down at Penn's Landing, another parcel of land in the city that had gone underdeveloped for years. This is really kind of the Ed Rendell vision. Bring a kind of heavily branded entities or, or entertainment complexes to the city, and they will come. They were pie-in-the-sky schemes. There was really no way that these would be built, but a lot of it was being done to, I think, just stir up the optimism of the city that, yes, we can we can. We can buy for these types of projects. They, they, they constantly needed more money, in order, uh, public money, in order for them to be viable. And in the end, they collapsed of their own weight. Was this, in your mind, the catch-22 of Ed Rendell's approach? In the end, did the two projects just end up cannibalizing each other? I don't know if they ended up cannibalizing each other, but I think they both were bloated, overpriced, over-envisioned destinations that in the midst of a recession, nobody was going to necessarily build. And, and there's no um, guarantee that anyone would really come to use them. These were um, kind of based on a model of uh, large scale, big budget kind of destination retail that I think in the end, Philadelphia was just not the right place for them. So there were cracks in the city's plans. And according to Jim Hill, there were also cracks in Disney's concept. The irony here is if you went to the Chicago Disney Quest on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, the place was packed. But on the other hand, Monday through Thursday, not so much attendance that, that uh, you know, in fact, that was the, the real problem. Uh, you know, so in the end, it was sort of the realization that, wow, this is 
this isn't necessarily going to make money hand over fist seven days a week. And, you know, before we invest in 20 or 30 of these, you know, do we really, you know, is this a road we really want to go down? So it has to be a certain level of bigness or splash or perhaps stature around the success of a project. Is that oh, what you're sadly, this happens a lot in Disney. You know, the, the, the notion that, you know, wow, we could make millions off of this idea, you know, but it's like, but yeah, going into this, you told us we'd make tens of millions. And this was the case with, with Disney Quest. It was one of these things that all announced with great fanfare and, you know, huge support of the company. But it was what it became apparent that, wow, we are not making the money we expected. Uh, we walk away. And you know, in fact, we are willing to walk away from, you know, what we're planning for Philly. We'd already started digging uh, the hole to put the foundation in. Hell, they were they were already receiving construction materials on site. And none of that stopped Disney from suddenly pulling the plug and, and leaving Philly in the lurch. Two other shoes dropped around that time. The first, Philly was getting a new mayor. Former council president and Rendell ally John Street was elected as Rendell's replacement in 2000 because Rendell was on his way to Harrisburg to become governor of Pennsylvania. I asked Susan Warner what this change meant in the context of Disney Quest Philly, which in many ways was Rendell's baby. Rendell had been perceived as the center city promoter, big name, and John Street painted himself more as the the man from the neighborhoods, and he was more concerned about investing in the neighborhoods than in Center City or, or, or keeping something afloat in Center City just because it might look bad to have a hole in the ground. Did you ever try to get in touch with Disney? I mean, was Disney willing to talk about anything going on behind the scenes at all during um, all this? Like, tell me about how they approach this. I went out to L.A. They run a tight ship. <laughs> I mean, they would do just what the press, you know, release said. I mean, that's how big corporate brands are. In Philadelphia, we don't have as many. We're used to talking to family entities more more than that. So, yeah, they were. That's how they were. You. You never really knew what was going on there for sure, other than the press release. The other shoe that dropped towards the end of 1999-2000, market conditions. Like Jim Hill said, people didn't want to eat at Planet Hollywood anymore. These big urban entertainment complex just weren't delivering. The problem here was that there had been a major contraction in themed dining. People need to remember that in the late 1990s, early into 2000s, there had been, you know, on the heels of the success of the rainforest cafes and the, the hard rock cafes and that sort of thing, what had been wide open territory, suddenly there was a lot of competition in the space. And then a lot of things went under very quickly. I don't honestly know is if there was anything Philadelphia could have done to save the Disney Quest thing at that point. It was more like a, oh, take them off the respirator, you know, it, it, or the ventilator. It's this, you know, rest in peace, Disney Quest. It's time. So this was a, a, a gradual kind of slow and painful death? There was just be so little spurts of activity that it really wasn't like it was constantly in the headlines every day. It'd be silence, silence, silence. And then if 
And if you would initiate a story like, hey, what's going on? It's not yet another year, yet another six months, then they would respond a little bit. But they were never eager to initiate talk about it. It was only when they were pressed. John Street, the mayor at the time in Philadelphia, was pressed about Disney Quest towards the end of March in 2000. He essentially declared it dead. The project needed $35 million more in funding, and the city sure wasn't going to pay for it. I don't know that it would have saved it. I mean, if they truly offered it, I don't think it would have made sense for Disney anyway, at at any price. I think that Disney, it was beyond whatever issues were in Philadelphia. Disney was contractually obligated to give the city 30 days notice if it intended to back out of its plans. Well, that's what Disney did in April of 2000. And that was that. All that was left of the big dreams for 8th and Market was a big old hole. The long-standing joke. Jim Hill lives in New England these days, and he still hears about it. I have friends in Philly. In fact, they they tell me the stories about, you know, when you when somebody would come to visit and, you know, they were giving them directions to go across the city. It's like you get down to 8th and Market and make the right at the Disney hole. It was a sore point with the city that they came this close. And I, I know there was a lot of finger pointing, but honestly, this wasn't Philly's fault. It was a business idea that the company lost faith in, lost confidence in. Philly could have moved even faster and permitted it quicker. It wouldn't have made a difference. Disney was still going to step away from that project. Disney Hall. These days, Ethan Market is probably better known for that than it is Disney Quest itself, or Gimbal's even. After Disney Quest failed in 2000, Frank DiCicco, the former councilman, went back to the drawing board. He was determined to find a solution for Ethan Market. When I caught up with him recently at his office, I asked him what it was like back then having to pass by Ethan Market all the time in the heart of his district and see the Disney Hall staring back at him. Were there any feelings or emotions you had? I'm sure you had to pass that site a lot, like some of the oh, things yeah. that you felt. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like seeing it. question is what happens next going forward. One idea that seemed to have the next best shot of succeeding was the Market 8 Casino Project. Nine years ago, it was one of six finalists for Philadelphia's second casino license. But that fell through, too. I was part of the Goldenberg team when they were trying to be, we were uh, in the running for the casino at Ethan Market. Uh, I thought any type of entertainment venue would be helpful to Market East because it'll bring crowds, not just tourists, it'll bring locals and people from the region in and the tourists because you're only four blocks away from the most historical mile in the city and the country, right? So you already got five, six million people coming to Independence Mall. Add that into the mix of locals and regional people. uh, Could make for a pretty successful corridor. When you step back and look at the last half century, has development at 8th and Market been a complete and total bust? I guess it depends on how you look at it. In terms of innovation and aesthetics, we're talking about a site that's varied between being a parking lot and a hole. So through that lens, yes, I think you can make the case that 8th and Market has been a bust. But in terms of functionality, that becomes a little bit more of a debate because the parking lot that's there now, it serves a purpose for a really congested, highly trafficked part of the city. Ultimately, I wanted to get Harris Steinberg's take, the expert in city planning from Drexel. And I also wanted to ask him about the future of 8th and Market. Was all of this 
meant to be? Are we better off as a city here in Philadelphia that Disney Quest failed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The last thing we need are these just large, inward-focused, bland boxes on our public streets. In order for cities to thrive and for you to feel safe going out into the sidewalks, you have to have people out there. You don't know those people, but the collective vision of people going about their daily routine, going into shops, out of shops, down to the subway, stopping for a coffee, having a bite to eat. All of that is what gives the public realm kind of its safety canopy, if you will. What type of project would it take for us to forget that Disney Hall was even there to begin with? I think just some kind of you know, beautiful mixed-use urban design project. If you build it in a way that is interesting, that's inviting, that, that kind of draws local folks they will use it. And, then, and we've seen that time and time again. Just not at Ethan Market. But maybe, just maybe, someday the city will get the project it deserves on that corner and the whole will be buried as a distant memory. The John Cast team is Tom Rickard, Sabrina Boyd Circa, Sarah Smith, Holly Stevens, Myron Kaplan, and me, Brian Seltzer. Thanks to Frank DeChico, Ken Goldenberg, Susan Warner, Harris Steinberg, and Jim Hill for contributing to this story. Read more of Jim's work or listen to his podcast about Disney. His site is jimhillmedia.com. And one final shout-out. Tony Romeo, you are the man. If not for the incredible archival prowess of KYW News Radio's former City Hall Bureau Chief and Harrisburg Bureau Chief, we would not have been able to play back for you that audio from the Disney Quest Philadelphia announcement press conference at City Hall in December of 1998. Check back next week for a brand new episode of the JohnCast about a story you can only find from Philadelphia. <laughs>